This morning we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and we're going to look together at verses 12 to 16, not to verse 26, as it says in the bulletin, but 12 to 16. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, and there is an outline for our time together on page 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, uh, thank you that you call us to come boldly and that Jesus is indeed Lord of all. We pray that this truth would encourage our hearts. Father, we pray where, if need be, we would be reminded that Jesus is Lord and we are not. For we ask this now in his name. Amen. One of the many lessons we learned during the uh, disruptive, some might say disastrous lockdowns, uh, COVID lockdowns of 2020, is that human beings are not meant to live in isolation. It's not, as some have argued, that we are tribal or that we are communal. Rather, it's, I think, far more accurate to say that we are relational beings. Christians, I hope, understand why that is. We are relational beings because we are created in the image of the triune God. The God who has known perfect fellowship throughout all eternity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so since we are made in the image of this relational triune God, we need relationships. It's not just that we like them. We need them. So let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, can you imagine your life if the lockdown protocols had become permanent? Our text for this morning tells us of a man living in isolation because of a disease. The only contact he could have was with others who shared his malady. The life of a leper was a life of pitiful isolation. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He reminds us that to live as a leper was to have a walking death. Into that situation comes Jesus. And into that situation, we have our big idea for this morning. Only Jesus can make the unclean clean. 
Only Jesus can make the unclean clean. So let's look at this wonderful little story and let's see what it is that God would tell us about how it is that Jesus does what no one else can do. We learn first in verse 12 that we need to come boldly to the throne of grace. We need here to to pause for just a second and understand the life of a leper. And we need to know, because we we, we don't necessarily treat lepers this way entirely uh, anymore, but back in Jesus' day, here's what would happen. Uh, Once it was pronounced that you had leprosy, and by the way, uh, this man didn't just have a spot on his hand. The text tells us he was full of leprosy. So in other words, this disease, this infirmity, now completely defined who he was. Did you note that Luke doesn't give us the man's name. He just tells us that he's a leper. That's now his identity. Well, if you were a leper, uh, you couldn't wear good clothes. You had to wear raggedy clothes. Your hair had to look, well, let's be honest, it had to look like Aiden's. A little crazy. A little long, a little unkempt. I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding, and I love I, I love your hair. And let's be honest, I'm envious. But your hair had to be long and unkempt. You couldn't walk around well put together. And there was a reason for it. The reason for it was you had to stay not six feet away from everyone. You had to stay at least 10 feet away from everybody. It was thought that leprosy was a communicable disease. And so the reason you had to wear raggedy clothes and the reason you had to let your hair be unkempt was so that people could identify you. If you didn't see them, they needed to be able to see you. Once you were diagnosed with leprosy, you had to leave your home. You had to go live with uh, lepers who lived on the outskirts of town, kind of in ruins. And whenever you would speak to someone you had to place your hand over your mouth and speak like this. It was masking before masking was cool. If you saw someone coming, you had to do two things. Well, three things, actually. You had to put your hand over your mouth. You had to yell at the top of your lungs that you were unclean, and then you needed to step aside. The onus was on you as a non-person, to get out of the way. Do you remember uh, during the height of the COVID lockdowns when the mask shaming was going on? And it was interesting because you never sort of knew which one you were going to get. Some places you'd go and people would get you be like, oh, well, I guess you don't love your neighbor, so you're not wearing a mask. Other places they'd be like, oh, I guess you're a mindless sheep, so you're wearing a mask. Well, can you imagine being in an environment in which everyone was agreed that you needed to put your hand over your mouth and you needed to yell unclean and you needed to be completely isolated from everyone? See, we need to know all that because we need to understand just how bold a move it is that the leper makes he would have had to announce himself and then when he comes 
he falls on his face. And the text is very explicit about this. He doesn't just ask him, oh, what's the word that's used? He begs. He begs him. There was no guarantee that Jesus would respond like he did. And still the leper boldly came. And as we just sang, he laid his load at Jesus' feet. And he pleads, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I wonder if we recognize this morning that we're all lepers. We don't all have the same skin ailment, but we do have something wrong with us that disfigures us. We have something wrong with us that drives us away from not just the relationship with one another that we are intended to have, but the relationship with our Creator that we are intended to have. Again, J.C. Ryle helpfully reminds us that we are all afflicted with leprosy of the soul. And so we, like the leper, need to come boldly to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to plead. We need to beg. We don't need to uh, try to negotiate. We don't need to try to engage in what uh, a coach of mine at Taylor used to call Philadelphia lawyering. No, we need to come and we need to plead. Not anything that we have done. But we need to plead what Jesus has done. Now, I know this morning you might be here going, well, uh, Pastor, that sounds great, but I, I, I don't really want to suppose anything. I mean, after all, he's God and I'm not, and, and I don't, I don't um, I'm, I'm just happy whatever, with whatever the Lord gives me. Well, that sounds great, but here is a text that tells us when we have a malady that we cannot cure, when we are, uh, when we have an affliction that isolates us from everyone and from God, we need to come boldly to him and we need to beg. We also have an adversary. And that adversary likes to tell us things like, well, you know, uh, Jesus won't listen. Jesus doesn't care. Or are you kidding me? Do you not understand just how far gone you are? There's no hope for you. Here, the text telling us to come boldly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't overthink it. Don't church it up. And don't delay. Come boldly, immediately, today, right now, this morning to the throne of grace and plead what he has done. Well, what is it that Jesus will do? In verse 13, we learn that Jesus is going to do something that only he can do. Jesus is going to do something that only he can do. And it's interesting, isn't it, 
as, as Luke tells us what it is that Jesus did, and we contrast that with what he could have done. Jesus could have simply said, I will be cleaned. But that isn't what he does. Did you note in verse 13 the order of what? And and it's interesting, isn't it, that Luke captures this for us. He doesn't just say Jesus taps him. He doesn't just say Jesus does some kind of, you know, some kind of cool like televangelist. No. (laughs) He stretches out his hand and he touches him. This is a man who has had no physical contact for who knows how long. And what does Jesus do even before he speaks? He touches him. As we've been going through Luke's gospel, we've said the melodic line of the book of Luke is that the gospel is for everybody. When Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, he's saying to everyone, I don't care what infirmity you have. I don't care what ailment you have. I don't care how alienated you are. I don't care how isolated you are. I don't care how unclean you are. I am here for you. And so he reaches out and he touches him. And then he says, I will be clean. And Luke says then immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, the reason this is a Jesus doing what only he can do, the reason this is such a big deal is uh, the text tells us, uh, the text that preceded the one that Colleen read in Leviticus 13, we read that if you come into contact with someone who has leprosy, you yourself are considered unclean. We already know they're unclean. In fact, they have to shout it. They have to let us know. And so if you happen to bump into a leper, or if you happen to, like, you're like, hey, this leper is my grandchild, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to hug my, okay, well, you're unclean too. And so there's a period of purification that you have to go under. And then the priest is going to take a look at you to make sure that you haven't caught it, or maybe you have. But coming into contact with leprosy made you ceremonially unclean. Jesus, however, touches that which is unclean. He does not become unclean himself. Rather, he cleanses him. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Friends, Jesus alone can take the infirmities. Jesus alone can take the the leprosy of our soul and not become unclean himself, but can cleanse us. That's why we must go to him. It's why we must be bold. We cannot reason our way out of it. We cannot think our way out of it. We cannot uh, negotiate our way out of it. 
No, as we see the heart of Jesus, it's wonderful, isn't it? That Jesus has the kind of love and empathy for this man that he's going to touch him. And that's wonderful. But understand, Jesus isn't just full of love and empathy. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which means not only does he love him enough to touch him, but he has power enough to heal him. Only Jesus can come into contact with that which is unclean and make it clean. We see then, thirdly, the cost of discipleship. Uh, Jesus, as he often does, goes from preaching to meddling. It's wonderful, isn't it? He's healed this man. He's restored him back to a polite company. I mean, this guy can go home. And the text doesn't tell us how long he's been a leper. We don't know. But I wouldn't have to be a leper very long when if, if someone was like, hey, you've been healed of your leprosy. What do you want to do? Well, I'm not going to Disneyland. I'm going home. I want to see my family. I want to see the people that I know and love. I've been restored to these relationships. But do you know what Jesus tells him to do in verse 14? He gives him two commands. First of all, don't tell anybody. Yeah, good luck. And then secondly, he says, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention when Colleen read that for us, but do you remember how long that took? A week. I'd be like, dude, seriously. With a word, you've cleansed me. With a word you have restored me, but now you want me to go and take a week and hold off on this thing that more than anything else I am dying to do. Really, you want me to wait. Well, friends, it is a powerful reminder to us that Jesus is not just the one who heals us. He's not just the one who forgives us. Jesus is King and Lord. We aren't just recipients and consumers of all that Jesus has done. He's not just a dispenser of miraculous power who works at our beck and call. No, again, he is King and he is Lord. And that means that we are not merely consumers or recipients. It means we are followers. And there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost of discipleship. And in this instance, the cost for the man was to go and to present himself to the priest, to make an offering for his cleansing for a proof. He was healed. He was restored. And now Jesus says to him, hey, uh, the price for that, in essence, is you need to go and fulfill the law of God. You need to go and do what it is that God in his word has commanded you to go. Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't like that. There are days in which I like to think of the fact that Jesus works for me. That God works for me. 
And who is God after all to say, hey, uh, this is what it means to follow me and this is what it's going to cost you. It's like, no, no, whoa, time out. That was, that, that's not the deal. I'm a consumer. But we're not consumers. We're called to be followers. I've shared with this with you before a man named Joseph Son, who was a, a pastor in Romania, who left for a time when Nicolae Ceausescu was uh, the communist leader of Romania. He went back, and people said to him, "This was before Ceausescu uh, was was um, had been deposed." He goes, but he went to England for a time, got a theological education, hung out with Martin Lloyd Jones at Westminster Chapel, and then the Lord called him back. And people were like, dude, really? They want to kill you in Romania. Why in the world would you go back? And here's what he said. I'm going back because when the king says go, there's only one right answer. When the king says go, there's only one right answer. Jesus has healed this man. He's shown the power to heal. But now, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he says, hey, listen, you need to go do this. And what does he do? He does it. Now, we have in verse 15 that wonderful conjunction, but. So even though Jesus says, don't tell anybody, when he went to go show the priest and make the offering and be restored to his family, uh, the obvious question is going to be this. Hey, how were you cleansed? Now, he could have said, hey, I came across this uh, wonderful herbalist and they made this funky smelling goo and they spread it all over, right? Or, they, or uh, hey, I, there's this great blend of essential oils. And they rubbed it over. I rubbed it over my liver and it cleansed, right? Or I mean, he could have made something up, but clearly he tells them, well, it was Jesus who healed me. And now, even more, the report about him goes abroad and great crowds are gathering to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And so Luke goes on to say, and so Jesus is on this 24-7 schedule. He's got handlers. He's got people. He has event coordinators. His social media team is gearing up because now his wonderful claims of being the Messiah are going to come to fruition. It's not what it says, is it? Verse 16, we have that other wonderful conjunction. But. But. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Several years ago, there was a, a big to-do over, uh, we had rediscovered the classic book, In His Steps, in which the question, what would Jesus do, was being asked, and people would walk around with WWJD bracelets and t-shirts, and then there were people who were like, well, actually, it stands for We Want Jack Daniels, and uh, there was a whole to-do over this. And one of the problems with it, of course, was well, if you ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, in this context, he would heal the guy. I don't think any of us in this room have that capacity. And so we sort of overcorrected. We went from thinking that in any way, shape, or form, Jesus' life was exemplary. In other words, he's an example that we ought to follow to just going, hey, Jesus did stuff that we can't do, so 
to figure out what Jesus would have you do. But in this instance, Jesus is a wonderful example for his people to follow. Jesus is extraordinarily busy, verse 15. He's doing this wonderful public work. And yet, Jesus is also given to withdrawing to private places to pray. Does Jesus have this public ministry? Yes, absolutely. And it's getting more public every day. He's gaining notoriety every single day. How then does Jesus respond to that? Does he simply get busier and do more and add more? Because after all, we're going to strike while the iron's hot. And this is the Lord's blessing on his ministry. Now, what does he do? He withdraws to desolate places in order to commune with his heavenly father. I'm reading an interesting book right now. The title gives it away. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have you noticed how addicted we are to being busy? Uh, we had the church we pastored in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, there were two brothers. They were identical twins, and they actually were in the same business. Their names were Larry and Gary because apparently their parents hated them. And Larry and Gary were great. They were they were like always like they were always on. They were always cheerful. They were always chipper, and they were like financial advisors. And they knew literally everybody in the city of Lexington, Kentucky. And every time I'd see them, I'd be like, and I could tell them apart because one had a mustache and one didn't. And I'd be like, so Larry, how are you? Oh, preacher, I'm great. I'll tell you what, though. I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger. All the time. All the time. They were busier than a one-armed paper hanger. And they're not alone. It's this great American virtue, isn't it, to be run ragged. It's this great American virtue to be busy, 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 busy. But here's the question then that we need to ask. Am I sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God? Let me say that again, because it's intentional the way the question is worded. Am I sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God? There's another really interesting book. I think it's The Rise and Fall of uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Remember them? PTL? Well, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker didn't set out to be frauds. They actually really set out their ministry was uh, they had a puppet ministry. They would drive around Texas and other places in the South uh, because they wanted they, and they would do these evangelistic puppet shows in schools. And the Lord blessed that and they got busy. And so it expanded and they kept getting busier and they kept getting busier and they kept getting busier. And Jim Baker would go to his board and he would say, guys, I listen, I'm 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 exhausted I don't know if I can keep this up. You know what they would do? They'd give him a pay raise. 
you know how the story ends. The story ends in utter disaster, in ruin. The story ends with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ being besmirched. It still, to this day, remains the single highest viewed uh, episode of Nightline that Ted Koppel would do. The PTL story was the had the largest viewership of any. I mean, even when the Iran hostages were freed and sent home, did not match the viewership of the PTL scandal. Are we, like Jesus, sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God, or are we busy, busy, busy? Friends, we need to feel that tension in our lives. If you're filling your schedule with really good things, even with godly things, with things done in the name of Jesus and in building his kingdom, and yet you are not sufficiently careful to be frequently alone with God, whatever you're doing, it's not the Jesus way. Let's feel the tension between this public life and the private life of communing with our Heavenly Father. Our Lord gives us another command this morning. It's not in this text. But the one who has healed us, the one who has called us by his name, the one who has, uh, through his sacrifice, adopted us into God's family, he now invites us to come to the table. In fact, he tells us that whenever we gather together, we are to remember his body and we are to remember his blood. And so this morning, the one who has made us clean invites and commands us to come and to take and to eat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that he does things that we cannot do. And we pray that as we are the recipients of his healing grace, that we would understand uh, we're not just recipients, we're not just consumers, but we are followers. And he is our king. And he is our Lord. And he is the one who commands, and we ought to be the ones who obey. For we pray this now in his name. Amen.